We'll turn now for our reading of God's holy words to Nehemiah chapter 5. Nehemiah chapter 5. Nehemiah chapter 5, and we're going to read the last few verses from verses 14 down to 19. Verses 14 down to verse 19. Last week's topic we were looking at in the book of Nehemiah was a very heavy topic. Um, the, the topic of oppression. And as we saw in the earlier part of Nehemiah chapter 5, there was great cruelty and mistreatment among God's people at the time. And it was a difficult topic to read about and to, to learn about. But I promise you here this morning that this section of God's word is much lighter uh, because of the new ruler in Nehemiah. He has become governor and burdens have been removed. And I pray here this morning that we're going to see it doesn't just point to Nehemiah as good of an example as he was. He points to one far greater than Nehemiah, one who took our burdens our burden of sin as we look to the cross of Christ and see how there's one greater than Nehemiah who rules and brings a wonderful light yoke for us to submit to and follow. So Nehemiah chapter 5, we're going to read now from verses 14 to 19. Let us hear God's holy and infallible word. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the, 20, to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them their daily ration, 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall and we acquired no land and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now, what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep, birds, and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this I did not demand the, the food allowance of the governor because of the service was too heavy on this people. Remember for my good, O oh my God, all that I have done for this people. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy and infallible word to us. 
Again, our text is that section we just read from Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 14 to 19. Leadership in any group is very important, isn't it? And we normally see the importance of good leadership in the absence of it, don't we? If we look across in state government, there's a lack of leadership morally and spiritually and in many other areas. When we think of the lack of leadership in the media, there's a lack of courage to deal with Stories that would be of public interest and of public help. And we're even struggling these days, aren't we, in the wider church for ministers, for ruling elders, and for other people in leadership. And we see the importance of good leadership when there is such a lack. Good leadership can be described in a number of different ways. One of the ways... I would describe it as this. Good leadership removes difficulties. Removes difficulties. So that a group can work together more efficiently. If you think of a conductor in an orchestra. The conductor is basically taking away the burden from each musician. So that they can focus on their own role of playing their own instrument. It frees them up from that burden. Good teachers also in schools. What do they do? They make learning easier. Do you ever see, you read a a book by a good teacher? Or perhaps you remember a good teacher from your school days. They made the subject far easier. Removing the burden... Of learning and making it far lighter in the process. When we go away from God's word, from God's commandment, the burden of sin that is on our backs becomes far heavier. And when we submit to sin, there is a greater burden and there's greater sorrow in our walk with God. Burdens become heavier because of sin. They don't become lighter. In our text here this morning, this Sabbath morning, we're going to look at Nehemiah and how he, through this godly example, through this change of leadership, lightened the load upon God's people. A ruler who served the needs of his people and really thought about the needs of his people. Uh, There is new management here. And maybe also see here this morning, it points toward another. One far greater, who, when we submitted to him, the Lord Jesus Christ, when we submitted to him, he also relieved us and brought us joy and peace. May this passage this morning bring us sunshine and warmth in our walk with our Savior. Judah's servant leader. The first point we're going to look at from our text here this morning is burdens removed. Burdens removed. Verses 14 and 15 of our text of Nehemiah chapter 5. 
Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year until the the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the governor's provisions. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. Nehemiah becomes governor of Judah. The line of kings in Judah had ended by that point. This goes back to the time of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, when God used him as an instrument to judge the people. Of Judah. The line of David, however, is not over. The, the son of David, the great son of David, would come in the future and take his seat upon the throne of his father, David. But at this point in history, we have a governor ruling over Judah underneath the Persian Empire, King Artaxerxes. What kind of ruler was Nehemiah? Would he continue the practice of oppressing the people of God as had gone before? Putting heavy burdens and then literally what is said in the Hebrew is like to make heavy their service. Or would there be change? Would there be change? Relieving the people of this weight, this heaviness that was crushing them, making them suffer. No, praise God, Nehemiah took away these burdens added by sinful and oppressive rule. Now there was a godly ruler in Nehemiah. Nehemiah, it tells us in our text, did not, as it says, take the governor's provisions. Uh, He was allowed to take of this great wealth and comfort. Some might say at the time it was Jew him. And he also did not lay the former burdens of the former rulers on them. At the end of verse 14. Neither I nor my brothers ate the governor's provisions. Verse 15. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people. And took from them bread and wine. There was, there was food being taken besides 40 shekels of silver. Now, it's very hard to calculate how much that is there, but that it translates to hundreds of pounds today. Very heavy, cruel measures against the people of God. Yes, even their servants bore rule over them. But Nehemiah says, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. Because of the fear of God. And when we compare the, the older rulers with Nehemiah, which one seems more loving? Which one seems more compassionate and caring about the needs of the people? Well, clearly Nehemiah comes out in front. The boys and girls who are here this morning... Do you have school bags as you travel 
to school. And are those school bags sometimes heavy? You perhaps have certain days of the week where you have certain heavy school bags or books rather than other days. What if your teacher placed more books in that bag of yours and just made it heavier and heavier? What if your teacher wanted you to carry their own books and made your school bag incredibly heavy as you walk up that hill to school? That wouldn't be nice, would it? But Nehemiah, in a loving, caring way, took that weight off the people of God. That burden removed and lighter. And you can imagine, if your school bag is suddenly lighter, it's much easier to walk, and it's much easier to move, and it's much more joyful. But we have a far greater one than Nehemiah. Someone far greater than Nehemiah who removes the burden of our sin. A burden which we cannot carry. A a burden we cannot lift. A burden we cannot make it up that hill with. The Lord Jesus Christ takes the burdens of all those who will come to him. And trust in him. And submit and be ruled by him. It says in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, it says this, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. What if you need no, need no longer need to carry the burden of your sin? It is carried by another. And the guilt of what you have done in the past no longer has to weigh you down. That is taken away in Jesus Christ. To serve under, under God, under his rule, that burden is light. It, it, it is wonderful. It is freeing. And it is peaceful. And it brings rest to our souls. And for that we must repent of sin. Turning away from the oppressive sin of the past. A sin that promises much. Sin that itself promises to relieve you of your burdens. But it doesn't. It makes it heavier and heavier and heavier. But we must turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Who makes our burden Lighter. This same Jesus, as we read earlier in Isaiah 53, was oppressed and he himself was afflicted. So, burdens removed is our first point. Our second point now is God revered. God revered. The second half of verse 15 reads as follows. Yes, even their servants bore rule over them, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. Because of the fear of God. Why? 
Why did Nehemiah do this? Not bearing heavy rule over them, living a comfortable life on the backs of others. And before we look at the answer and consider the answer, we have to think about how what we choose to do as believers in Jesus Christ, or even if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, it's going to be based on what motivates us. Why do we do what we do? For what motivation, for what reason do we do what we do? The sacrifices we make, the things we say no to, and the things we say yes to. Here we see a governor, a political leader at the time, doing the right thing. Why? Why was he doing the right thing? Because our text tells us he feared God. Because of the fear of God. He trembled before God. And the worst thing when you revere God and you think highly of God and you love God, you fear disappointing him because you love him and you cherish him. The fear of God led to the care of his people. The fear of God led to the care of his people. It is very hard to take seriously the claim of someone who says, I love God, but they struggle or show little or no love toward fellow believers in Jesus Christ. In the home, fathers and mothers, do you fear God? Do you fear God? Is God revered in your home? Is the most important thing that your children or anybody who's visiting your home sees is that you serve God. Everything revolves around God. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. We see that the faith of a, of a person changes how we deal with people around us. It makes us more loving. It makes us more compassionate. It makes us provide, as it says in 1 Timothy, for our own. And to take care of our own. How we treat people and what we believe about God are connected. Sometimes we treat people extremely poorly because of our lack of a fear of God. A fear of God leads to compassion. Provision for care of his people. Here in, our, in this text in 1 Timothy we just read. It is the care for the people in the home. Fathers if you love God. And husbands if you love God. Don't we show it to the other people in our homes. Mothers and wives. You show that loving compassion towards your children and your husband. Removing burdens and blessing others. And how might we do that? Husbands, listening to your wives at home can relieve burdens. 
to knowing what the burdens are that are causing challenge and difficulty and then seeing how those burdens can be relieved children listening to your parents and applying the word of God can can remove great burdens of worry for your parents because they wonder what will you be like in 10 years time 15 years time they pray for your souls to relieve the burdens of those who are praying for you apply the word of God to your lives there are things we can all do dear brothers and sisters there are all things we can do to relieve the burdens of others and to show that we fear God and then all this God is revered God is exalted. That the service of others would also be a joy as much as it is to us that it would be for others as well. So burdens removed. God revered. Number three now. Work resumed. Work resumed. Verse 16. Verse 16 of our text. Indeed, I also continued the work on this wall. We did not buy any land. All my servants were gathered there for the work. I also continued the work on this wall. The, the work continues. The work continues. In God, through Jesus Christ, removing our burden of sin. Through his cross, through his sacrifice... It's not just so we can be happy. It's not just so we can be free from serving old oppression. It's that we're free to serve and to work ourselves. Removing that weight that was once on our backs. Now we can walk far more easily than we did before. And it's no longer a burden. It is a a blessing. A number of sermons ago when we preached on Nehemiah chapter 3, we saw the blessings of kingdom work. The blessings of kingdom work as God's people worked all the way around the city of God, closing up those gaps and working on the weaker points of the wall. Work is not a bad thing. It is not in itself something horrible to endure. Now work has been made harder by sin, by the fall of man in Adam. And there is a curse on this world that can make work feel burdensome, hard, difficult. But work in and of itself is a blessing. And we have been freed through Jesus Christ, through His blood, through the Spirit of God to work. And there is a purpose to those burdens being removed. We have to think about that, friends. We have to think about that burden being removed for a reason, for a purpose. Yes, we feel better, don't we, when when our sins are forgiven. When we come to Jesus Christ. And yes, we have a home in heaven. That is wonderful. But while we are here, regardless of your age, regardless of the money in your bank account, if God has left you here to this point, God has a work for you. God has a work for every single one of you. 
God is a work of witness even for the small children. God is a work of witness for those who are older in the faith. Boys and girls, we were talking about school bags earlier. And with that really heavy school bag, and you're struggling up that hill once more, you, you, you can't get up that hill. Your, your kind teacher comes alongside of you. He takes that school bag off your shoulders and he puts it on his own back and he carries it up that hill for you. Now what do you do at that point? Do you go play with your friends or do you keep walking up that hill towards that school? You've now been freed from the burden of what was on your back, that heavy school bag. What would be the right response? Well, you run up that hill as fast as you can, don't you? Toward that school and you, and you learn at the feet of that teacher who took that burden and relieved you so that you could go to school. To learn at the feet of that servant leader. It frees us to work. It frees us to walk. We are freed to follow Christ. To learn at his feet. Our burden removed. If you remember Pilgrim's Progress. Christian has a burden. And the more he reads of his sin and how fall, how much he falls short of the glory of God, his burden gets heavier and heavier. And it's only when he looks to the cross that that burden falls off his back. And it's far easier then to walk. Walk towards that celestial city. Walk toward his heavenly home. Free to follow Christ. And Nehemiah's focus here in verse 16 we see is on the work, isn't it? He's not there to benefit himself. He's not there to make himself rich. He's not there to seek the riches of this world. He seeks the riches of the world to come. He doesn't seek the temporary riches where they corrupt themselves and are gone and which we cannot take with us anyway to our spiritual home. He focuses on heavenly riches. He doesn't take, he doesn't enrich himself. It says once again in verse 16, Indeed, I also continued the work on the wall. We did not buy any land. All my servants were gathered there. Why were they gathered there? For the work. For the work. Jesus himself When he came to this earth, he was focused on the work, wasn't he? And the devil, that great tempter, that great deceiver, wanted to bring him away from the work. It says in Matthew 4, 8, Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Yes, he was tempted by the glory which was his anyway. But he must, he had to go through what, he, what work he was focused on. And also, he had to go the way of suffering, the way of the cross. Jesus himself was not focused on, you could say, the here and now. He was focused 
on the glory of the kingdom to come and the work he had to do. He was focused on an eternal work. Are we? When we think of our priorities, what is the main thing? There's many things we have to do when we're here. You know, people live busy lives today. But could we honestly say that either our own children, if we have children, or maybe our grandchildren, or our friends when they visit our homes, can see that the most, the most important thing in our lives is God, and the work of God, and the kingdom of God. Are we concerned with the wealth and the riches which fade away, or are we focused on riches which cannot be taken away from us in Jesus Christ, the greatest kingdom and the greatest power known? We are focused on that work. So burdens removed. Number two, God revered. Number three, work resumed. Number four now, suffering recognized. Suffering recognized. He had access to great wealth, Nehemiah. But the people were suffering. They were still suffering, even though these burdens were removed. They were still suffering from their past. From their past. He did not want to show an us versus them mentality in his leadership. He was truly a servant in his leadership. In verses 17 and 18 it says this, And at my table were 150 Jews, rulers besides those who came to us from the nations around us. Now that which was prepared daily was one ox and six choice sheep. Also fowl were prepared for me. And once every ten days an abundance of all kinds of wine. Yet in spite of this, I did not demand the governor's provisions. Because the bondage was heavy on this people. He didn't want to live one way and see all the suffering of others in another way. And this is voluntary. There would have been, in a sense, nothing wrong with Nehemiah taking of these privileges of the office. It wouldn't have been illegal, but it wouldn't have been very compassionate toward those who are still going through hardship. So he didn't take of all this great comfort and wealth. Why? Because he was thinking of his, his people, God's people, and their suffering. The people were hungry. As we find out at the beginning of chapter 5. They were hungry. And there's a great outcry. And he doesn't want to make that situation worse. Leadership. Living in comfort. Paid for by the heavy burdens of the uh, taxes of the people. Would not show compassion. Nehemiah voluntarily did this. He voluntarily of his own will did this. Another way you could think of this is, here are my people. Here are God's people. Here's my family. Here's my spiritual family. They're suffering. I'm going to suffer with them. I'm going to suffer with them. While a cupbearer, a very high office in the Persian Empire, while a cupbearer of King Artaxerxes, a very privileged role, he suffered when he heard of the condition Of the city of God. We learned of that in Nehemiah chapter 1. Now as governor. What will he do? He does not abuse. 
the power and the authority given to him. He shows love denying himself what he could take. And this makes us think of one far greater than Nehemiah, doesn't it? Judah's greater servant leader who suffered for his people far more than this, far more than we ever will suffer, probably combined. Voluntarily, he identified with us. It says in Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. He suffered with and for his people. He suffered taking their burdens on him. He suffered dying for our sin. And he suffered. He experienced all the temptations. Yet without sin. He suffered hunger. He suffered lack. He suffered sadness and bereavement. And he suffered tiredness. All these natural human weaknesses that we have. He suffered temptation. Now he was not a sinner. God cannot be tempted by sin. But he was tempted with those things which really did belong to him. Tempted with all those things that it is natural to seek after food, sleep, water, and the glory of his kingdom. He suffered on the cross for us. It says in, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Now, Nehemiah, in a very limited way in our text, didn't add to any problems, but there's a limitation what a mere man can do like Nehemiah. But Jesus Christ, our great high priest, can aid those who are tempted because he experienced that suffering. He experienced those difficulties. And he experienced it himself. And so he identifies with his people suffering for and with his people. He can help you. If you are going through great times of temptation, trial, suffering, something is pulling you away from him, he's able to help you. Are you suffering in some way today? We have one who has suffered far more than we ever could. Suffered far more than we ever could. And he suffered in the place of sinners, all his people. If you will trust in him, then in the world to come there is no suffering. In the world to come there is joy and peace that passes all understanding. But in order to have that, in order to, when you you leave this earth, When you stand before the throne of grace, you need to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Which brings us on to our fifth and final point. Service remembered. Service remembered. So, burdens removed, God revered, 
work resumed, suffering recognized, and finally, number five, service remembered. Service remembered. Verse 19, Nehemiah said this, Remember me, my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. Remember me, my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. Nehemiah has done a great deal for God's people. He cries out to God that God would remember and bless his work and show favor toward his work. And bless it. But there's one far greater, isn't there, than Nehemiah. And and his service, perfect, unblemished, spotless, holy in every single point. Christ served. He came and he, he obeyed every point of the law perfectly in our place. Those ten commandments, that law of God that once stood against you, that once condemned you, now God can look upon you and say, you're a keeper of the law. You're just righteous, holy in Him. In Him. And that service of Christ, that perfect obedience of Christ remembered before the throne of grace. Never forgotten. When we come before the throne of grace, don't we call upon God the Father in the name of Jesus the Son? That is not just words we use. The only way we can enter into the courtroom, the, the very presence of God, is through Christ. Because of his perfect work. Because of his perfect sacrifice in our place. Taking our punishment. And not only that. Fulfilling the positive requirements of the law. The law still needs to be obeyed. When we see the law of God. We can't just toss it aside. Oh I've been forgiven. Yes but more is needed. In order to come into the throne. Room of God. A righteous man. A righteous woman. righteous child. Can only come into the presence, the holy presence of Almighty God. It is not just those people who have had their their sin score set back to zero. Far more is needed. And in that remembered service of Christ. It is a sweet and a pleasant aroma. A wonderful fragrance. Something God delights in. Takes joy and pleasure in. So... Shouldn't that give us confidence when we, as we take one day closer to eternity? Those who are of us who are in Jesus Christ, the one who represents us, the one whose service is perfect, God delights in, takes pleasure in, loves it, loves His Son. We must not come in our own works. Our own works, if they are remembered and brought before the throne room of grace, they are rags. They are filthy rags, it says in Isaiah 64, verse 6. But we are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. Filthy rags. So we need to be clothed in that perfect service of God. Of Jesus Christ. Royal robes of righteousness. 
We need to, for God, to not look at our failings, but to see the perfect finished work of Christ. Judah's servant leader here in Nehemiah. Nehemiah was not perfect. Nehemiah was a sinner like you and I. But he did, in a a wonderful way, model a servant leader. One who, through leading, served the needs of the people and saw the suffering of the people. But there is a greater servant leader whom we are to look to. One whose service and work was perfect in every single point. A man of prayer, but a man of perfect prayer. The Lord Jesus Christ, Judah's great servant leader. One who removed the burden of sin. One who removed the burden so we could labor for his glory. Are you this morning burdened with the heaviest weight that can be on any of our backs? And that is sin. Sin unforgiven. And we have all done things in our past that we would not dare tell our best friends about. We have thought things and we have done things. We have all broken God's law. Every single last one of us. All of us have. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And friend, don't leave here with that burden. Don't leave here without Christ. Come. Have a different burden over you. One that is light. One that is easy. Come to him. Judah's true and great servant leader. He died in the place of sinners. He will not turn you away. He will embrace you. All will come to him here this morning.